Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. This is episode 770, my interview with Phil Hewitt, Outrunning the Demons, transforming your life through running. Enjoy the show. G'day, Phil, and welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Really lovely to speak to you. How are you? It's great to have you here. I'm, I'm fantastic, mate. Yeah, it's the uh, evening time here, but I believe it's early morning for you over there in the UK. It is late, late morning. Late morning. Oh, there lo- you go. Lovely, lovely spring morning. Yes, we're coming into the autumn time here and um, just getting a bit wintry right now, so it's beautiful. And uh, so, mate, tell us a little bit about your book. You've just re- recently written a book called Outrunning yeah. the Demons. Um, give us a That's little bit right, of a snapshot. Yeah. What's all that about? What, what, what prompted you to, to write this book? Well, I've always been a runner, but I've always been obsessed with cricket. Mm. And uh, one of my great ambitions was always to go and watch England play cricket abroad. And I managed that on St. Valentine's Day 2016. I went to see England play South Africa at Newlands, the ground in Cape Town. And it's just the most beautiful ground, fantastic ground. And England lost, but it hardly mattered because it was such a great atmosphere. And the, the South African fans there were so friendly and welcoming and taking the mick out of me that I travelled so many thousand miles to see Just Butler out first ball and Joe Rose out for <laughs> Crazy fan nothing boy. very much <laughs> at all. Yeah, and England lost and Alex Hale's got 100, but A.B. de Villiers got an even better one. But it's just a great, great day. And I just left the ground on a high and I think I've probably left my brains there and just wandered out of the ground, which is about six or seven miles outside of central Cape Town. Mm. And I hadn't made any arrangements whatsoever for getting back. I got the taxi there in the morning, but didn't think ahead. And I just thought... A bit of a dangerous place, I've heard. Oh, well, absolutely. So I discovered. So I, I just thought I'd walk and I'd mm. try and find a taxi and try and find a bus and, or hitch a lift. But none of those things happened. So I just walked and walked and asked a few people, was I going the right way? And they said, yes, but I wouldn't do it if I were you. But I'd gone a couple of miles by that point. So I thought, I'll oh, just keep going, keep going. Keep going yeah. And after about three miles, I was walking beside a motorway. The only way into central Cape Town was along the hard shoulder, the edge bit of this um, eight lane motorway, which is a bit scary. And then the hard shoulder disappeared and I scrambled up onto a bank and thinking, oh my God, where do I go from here? And that just ended in a load of brambles and gorse and bushes. So I was stuck looking across this motorway thinking, oh my God, how do I get into this position? And I looked across the motorway and saw a little path on the far side. So I scrambled across the motorway, took my life in my hands and dived across eight lanes of motorway, scrambled down the path on the first side, on the far side and came into a little sort of housing area that kind of looked okay, but made me feel a little bit uneasy. Mm. I walked through that, came out the other side into this vast, open, urban, desolate wasteland called District 6, which had been cleared during apartheid exactly 50 months before that month, would you believe? And I think it was a protest. No one's ever really moved back in there. Mm. And so it's just open rubble wasteland and is dangerous. And I was walking across it. And the irony was I could see central Cape Town on the horizon. I was thinking, yeah, 25 minutes striding out quickly, I'll be there. But I heard footsteps behind me. A bloke ran up to me, asked asked me for my camera in very colourful language. And he seemed to thump me a couple of times. Um, And the force of that 
pushed me to the ground and I pulled him to the ground and he was um, behind me kicking in the mid back kicking in the head and that was pretty painful so I tried to roll round he was in front of me kicking me in the throat and the face kicking me in the stomach and the chest as well mm. and I, I looked down at that point and I saw that my leg was just absolutely awash with blood really bleeding quickly and so I let go of the camera. Well, did he I stab said, you really? or, or just hit you? Well, that, that, that was what I realized at that point. And I thought he'd punched me, but he hadn't. He'd stabbed me twice in the leg. And it's quite a professional hit, or credit to him, that uh, it was a, a long gash, about five, six inch gash to my calf and a very deep puncturing wound to my upper leg, to my thigh. And so I let go of the camera at that point and... I think I just really, really annoyed him by pulling him to the ground. He was expecting to just do it and leg it and get going. And he just stood over me, really angry, and just kicked and kicked my ribs. And then he ran off and just left me. Um, it's one of the things that will always stay with me, just watching him run away. And we were in the middle of nowhere. And I just pulled myself. He'd shoved me onto the grass. So I kind of pulled myself back onto the pavement. Um, I couldn't stand, absolutely couldn't stand. I was just lying no. on the pavement. Both legs or just the one leg? Just the one leg, but that was enough. That's enough, yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. I imagine. So I was just lying there and the blood was kind of pooling around me. And it's so odd what happens to you in that sort of moment of extremis. I was just thinking, I found the most overwhelming tiredness. I just wanted to shut my eyes and be out of this you know, thoroughly miserable situation. And I could feel, I don't know if it was shock or if it was blood loss, but I could feel myself drifting away and just wanting to sleep and just wanting to lie back. But something was sort of kicking off in my head saying, if you do that, mate, you die. That's it. You know, no one's going to stop for someone who looks like a corpse. So I tried to prop myself up on an elbow and try to sort of look around and make it look like I was still alive. Hmm. And... Oddly, I just don't remember pain at that, that moment. I just, just tiredness, just tiredness, but forcing myself to look awake. And probably about two minutes later, uh, this car pulled up, pizza delivery car of all things. And yeah. the guy got out and came towards me. And he was a superhero. Yeah, it's so brave in those circumstances to stop, to get out of the car, to become involved. It would have been so easy just to drive on by and just, you know, oh, I didn't see that, I didn't see that. But he didn't. He just got right in the thick of things and took charge. And he was just absolutely brilliant. He sort of scraped me up off the floor, put me in the back of his car, propped my leg up on a pile of pizza boxes and I always often think, you know, I've probably completely wrecked whatever pizzas were in those boxes, but he elevated my leg, which I wasn't in a position to think of doing, and he just whisked me to hospital. And, uh, yeah, the upshot was he, before I knew it, I was in the hospital. It's, it's funny, he was running into loads of red lights along the way, and he just pulled up the car, jumped out, ripped his pizza sign off the roof of the car, handed it to me in the back, and then shot through every red light he came across to get to the hospital more quickly. And what then a champion. In. Well, What absolute champion. Absolute, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess probably a predictable thing to say, but I think he's probably the most admirable person I've ever met, really. And thank God for that, really. Hmm. But he dashed into the hospital, emerged with a wheelchair, and got me in the wheelchair. And I was wheeled in, and... Um, the care was good and the doctor really struggled to stop the upper wound 
bleeding. Um, he sewed it up whilst it was still bleeding. So my leg just swelled up massively. Mm. So he had to take those stitches out and then put some deep ones in and then re-stitch it on the surface and then lean against it with all his weight just to stop it bleeding. And that was the first time it really hurt. I think the shock was wearing off. Yeah, it was yeah. agony. Yeah. And my whole leg, you know, from mid ribs right down to the tips of my toe just turned black on that side of my body just the internal bruising um and then I, yeah i sort of staggered through um another few days in south africa and sort of i suppose on adrenaline really i was meeting up with an old mate from work whose daughter was getting engaged so i didn't want to be the party pooper and you sort of struggle on manfully and then went back home about five, six days later. And I think that's when it really hit me. That's just, oh my God, I could so easily have died. And, you know, it's yeah. the closest I've probably ever come to death without, mm. before I actually do depart this planet. And the whole thing just built up in my mind over the next three weeks. Just all these things going round and round and round and round So you stayed there, you didn't go home, you just kept travelling? No, no, no. I went home after about uh, five, six days. Oh, okay. Man, yeah back home i think once i was back home i think that's when it really hit me and so the whole thing just right, went around my head all these questions all these things i could never actually find answers to but yeah i want to know what the bloke's name was where he'd been that day what he did with my camera how come he was in such a shit situation that he did that to me i want to know whether he thought of me you know whether all these things in your head, yeah. running away and not looking back not looking back and okay you're, you're unlikely to murder by someone by stabbing them in twice in the legs but you are very likely to murder them if you don't actually fetch help and just run away and leave them to bleed with no one around pure chance this kind came along and rescued me yeah, so all those things just well. whizzed yeah whizzed ran around my head and it just all ended up into a huge panic attack in a, a very, very quiet shopping centre in the south of England in Hampshire, in the middle of a shopping arcade on a Sunday afternoon. My wife said, come on, let's get you out, let's get you out. And I just stood there, absolutely overwhelmed, three weeks to the day later, mm. overwhelmed by what had happened, just how close I'd come. And I just stood there and I didn't know whether I was going to be sick or just burst into tears or scream or faint or collapse or just something, just something. I just stood there and just kind of rode it and just waited for it to pass. Gotcha. And I think the funny thing is probably no one would have noticed what had happened in my mind at that point. But you know, I'd, if anyone had spoken to me, God, I had no idea what would have happened. But mm. I just rode it and then got home and said to Fiona what had happened. And uh, and I made an appointment to see our nurse the next morning. And I, I went to see him and said, look, um, this happened to me in the shopping centre. Clearly, clearly, clearly my wounds are infected for that to happen. And he looked at them and said, uh, Phil, they're, they're actually healing really nicely. Do you think you ought to talk to someone? And I freaked a bit at that point at the thought of talking to someone. Yeah. And I just evolved my own two-point recovery plan. And the first part of that was straight away to write down everything I remembered about what happened, all the thoughts, all the you know, indignities. One of the main images was Stephen, the pizza delivery guy. When he got out of the car, he had a lovely girl assistant with him who was probably 16 or 17. And I just have this fixed image of her mind. She walked towards me, 
took in what I looked like at that point and her face just froze in horror. She could not move. Her jaw dropped. She just stood there absolutely frozen, mouth wide open, looking at me. Hmm. And for ages, I was just so upset about that and thinking, I didn't want to be the person who would upset her in that way. But I think, you know, in hindsight, why that impacted on me so much was that her lovely face and horror on that face, I think, was just the perfect mirror of the situation I was in. Hmm. So all those things whizzed through my mind. So I started writing it all down just to get it out. And then the very next day, I went for a run. And... I've always been a runner at that point. I've done oh, yeah. 30 marathons. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 30 marathons at that point. And just, yeah, I had a couple of weeks. I'll never run again. You know, how awful for a runner to be stabbed in the leg. Mm. Um, how long ago was this? But, like, how long after was this then now? Like, when you're running again? Uh, this was three weeks and a day after the stabbing. So I went yeah, out, got my running kit on. Uh, I had two bloody great holes in my leg. I had three broken ribs i'd had liver damage from the kicking um i was still black and blue um just aching all over from the kicking but just getting out there and running just something lifted it was just it's just indescribable just something just cut like a knife if that's not a bad analogy to say just something just cut through all the mess in my mind and just suddenly I just felt much more like I was me again. I wasn't, you know, Phil who just survived a pretty vicious stabbing, which could have gone the other way. I was, I was Phil who's run 30 marathons at that point and was still a runner. And so I just continued to run and I continued to write. And what I wrote was just effectively a diary of healing. Um, the more I ran, the better I felt. And there just so many ways that running helps with trauma. Um, I wrote the story, sent it off to Bloomsbury Publishers, um, and they said they liked it but wanted a much wider survey of people who, other people, my story, but other people who've run in the wake of trauma. And so I got Googling, got contacting people around the world, and the book is bookended by my story at the start and the finish. But the bulk of the book, which is called Outrunning the Demons, published by Bloomsbury, in England and the States and Australia is 34 interviews with people who, I said, there's a tagline to the book. These are people who weren't necessarily runners to start with, but people who became runners, yep. became runners, yep. people who've been to hell and discovered that the quickest, surest, safest way back is to run. Yeah, so right. it's interviews with people who've been caught up in war, Afghanistan or Iraq, people who've been caught up in terrorism, 9-11 or the Boston Marathon bombing, people who've suffered horrible depression and been on the brink of suicide, people who've been addicted to drink or drugs or people who've suffered violent assault, such as I did, or people who've suffered sexual assault, Mm. Um, people who've been through serious illness. There's one guy who's run 100 marathons since being diagnosed with cancer, and all people who've just had a really awful time for some particular reason. Yeah, discovered that by running. Mm. Yeah, but 
I would stress, you know, it's not a harrowing, difficult book because the point is that all these people found something really empowering, something really healing through running. Mm. Through running, they found their peace of mind, they found healing, they found space and time and perspective and just somehow got themselves back on their feet, um, which is exactly what I did. Just running is just such a powerful, powerful thing for when your mind is pretty messed up as mine was at the time. And I think there's so many reasons why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, as, as I wrote the book, I think it became clearer to me why running is just such a brilliant answer to trauma. And I think one of the things that trauma really does to you is it just completely fixes you in that blasted moment. And even now, as I'm speaking to you, which is lovely, there's a part of my mind that will always be stuck on that blasted pavement in Cape Town thinking, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to die. But I'm not in a position to make something happen. And that, that I think, is the essence of trauma, just stuck in that moment, just... Mm. Uh, yeah, but running, you know, takes you away from that moment and plonks you very firmly, very nicely, very kindly, very gently in the here and now. It's, it's a kind of mindfulness, isn't it? It is, um, yeah, yeah. If you're stuck in that horrible moment, you want something that reroutes you. And I think the other thing about trauma is trauma is essentially an absolute catastrophic loss of control. That guy in that moment could have done whatever he wanted to me and I wouldn't have been able to do a thing. And one of the things that really torments me, I think, is that why, given how angry he was, he didn't just quickly stab me in the stomach and have done with it, just finish me off? Yeah. Was it that he didn't didn't want to murder me? Or what Maybe. I think possibly happened is that when I pulled him to the ground, did I knock the knife from his hand? Um, I never saw the knife, didn't see it at all. And I, you know, it's one of the things that really haunts me. What did that knife look like? Um, and it's such a stupid thing to ponder, really, because it wouldn't get me anywhere if I knew what that knife looked like. But yeah, yeah. It's that These are the thoughts he, that are still yeah, yeah, traumatising you in some way. He which... could have done whatever he wanted. Yeah. And I would have been absolutely, utterly powerless. You know, I couldn't stand up, couldn't do a thing, really. All I could do was prop up and try and look still alive. But that's another thing that running gives you. So running gives you yeah. back lovely control. You decide, you know, what colour running top you're going to wear, whether it's going to be the red one, the blue one, the yellow one. You decide when you leave your door whether you're going left or right. You yeah. decide how quickly you're going to go, whether you're going to scoot between the, the lampposts. You, you decide whether you're going to stay out for ages, whether you're going to accelerate, slow down. You decide when you're going to come back. Um, running just gives you control back, and I think that's so important in trauma. But tell us, where, where did is, you find, and you said you Googled these people that you interviewed, is it, um, I mean, did you yeah, know where I to mean, look or did you just Google them and simply find people that have shared stories online that you've then well, reached out to? Well, it's probably a bit, bit crass, really. I just Googled, you know, runner, trauma, runner, marathon, murder, okay. runner, assault, runner, addiction, things like that, and approached yeah, these yeah. people, and they were so fantastic. Yeah. And I can't tell you just how speaking to them, how much 
speaking to them helped, helped me. you as well. The, right. the, yeah, oh my goodness. It was, the book became my therapy. I have had some one-to-one therapy, and I don't think it particularly worked. I think the running therapy was more is beneficial. Great. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think run, therapy is probably great if you really, really struggle to verbalize what happened to you. Whereas you probably notice once I start, I absolutely cannot stop. It's just, you know, a deluge of words of what happened to me. Um, Phil, so just quickly, you've got a, um, have you got a head set in, a headphone with a speaker have, on it? Yeah. I just can hear yeah. it rubbing maybe on your collar or something like that. Oh, sorry, that's probably my shoulder. Yeah, that's okay. sorry. Be mindful I'm, of that. Sit yep. still. <laughs> sit still. <laughs> so good. Um, sorry to interrupt. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd say a therapy is probably great for people who struggle to verbalize, and I, but I sort of can't stop talking about it once I start. Um, and I think therapy just dug me in deeper. But I think well, that's what it can do because you keep dwelling and you keep talking about it, whereas exercise, and I, yeah, I don't yeah, know if it's yeah. just running, but, I mean, it's obviously the, the focus of your book and certainly I'm a runner, not significantly like you, but um, I've found in times where I've, you know, just felt a bit down or not, not quite right, I've gone for a jog and really cleared the cobwebs as such. Um, and I yeah, find, I find it, the it same... it just puts things back in place, mm. doesn't it? It just sort of jumbles up your mind in a good way and they just all the bits in your mind just flutter back down in a, in a slightly different order in a way that works for you and i say that i think one of the things that's been so great has been the camaraderie with the other people i've interviewed who have been so generous and supportive in telling their story and so open and so honest and the horrible details of what they went through but more importantly, mm. the fantastic story of how they've lifted themselves back. And I think they're all just such hugely inspirational people. Can, can I mention one of them in particular? Yeah, yeah, different. Yeah, there's this fantastic woman called Teresa Giamona in New York. And her husband, Vinny, was a New York City firefighter. And his 40th birthday fell, would you believe, on the day that we actually now know as 9-11. And looking forward to his birthday, earlier that year, he booked himself a place in the New York City Marathon, which was in first weekend in November, six or seven weeks after 9-11. And he trained and trained. He was a dad to four girls, all under 10, proper family man. He was known as Lieutenant Fun because he's great, great to have around the fire station. Um, the night before 9-11, he was on duty at the fire station in downtown New York, came off duty first thing in the morning. It was his 40th birthday, and he decided to go for a run just to celebrate the day and went for an early morning run, came back to the fire station, just about to go off duty, go home and have a family day for his birthday, when the news came in of what was happening down at the Twin Towers. And it was just absolutely in his nature that he got back in his firefighter's kit and was among the first down there and he went into one of the twin towers and sadly was never ever seen again and for a little while there was a hope that some people had survived in underground tunnels so Teresa was hoping 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 for about a week 10 days but in the end it was clear he hadn't survived no one had survived and you just think what her grief must have been like you know what a Awful, absolutely Mm. awful thing to happen. But on his birthday, um, four young girls, so much to look forward to. And one of the things that really, really hit her in her grief was that she just could not bear the thought of his race number not going over that finishing line. So they got together, 13 mates, friends, colleagues. And would you believe, six weeks after his death, they stood two miles apart along the route of the New York City Marathon, and they tag-teamed his number over the line. Hmm. 
And I think that is just the most astonishing image, isn't it, of something that's so insuperable. How do you get over? How do you how do you even begin to resolve that problem when you don't? But what you do do is you break it down into little Lovely, bits and try and put yeah. it back together somehow. And that's what they did. And his number, six weeks after he died, so his body's never been found, will never be found. His number went over that race line. And I think the lovely thing is that even then it wasn't enough for Teresa. It just niggled away at her that she just realized she had to do it herself. And she wasn't remotely a runner, but she set herself a target five, six years later oh, wow. to train. Yep. And she had awful bad luck. She was hit by a car while she was training. She had oh, wow. a, um, some terrible knee injury, I think. But somehow she did it. And... Five, six, seven years after he died, she ran the New York City Marathon that he was so set on doing. And she is beautiful the way she speaks about it. She says she, she just found he was so, so incredibly close to her yeah. all the way around. And, you know, stories like that, I just Power find running. so mm. astonishingly moving. And just, they helped me. And I ran my 36th marathon in Southampton in Hampshire two days ago. Jeez. Um, and it was brilliant it was fantastic but I, just to get myself around I just think of the stories the people I've interviewed the people whose stories are in a lot of, running the lot demons of, yeah, yeah and I've, I've oh, heard of plenty I of people finding um, you know uh, through anxiety depression things like that and the power of running what has been yeah. some of the I mean obviously the stories are amazing inspirational etc what have been some of the biggest sort of takeaways that maybe you can share with the audience about the benefits of running or the power of running obviously well not obviously but i can i can make the connection between how it is mindfulness how it does put you right into the moment and and then therefore sort of allow you to let go of certain things um in those in those moments of running because you are physically yeah. moving your body and exerting a lot of energy and you really do have exactly. to focus on that um yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things I've got from the experience of writing the book and from running was from a lovely Australian runner called Caroline Elliott, who mm. was in Northern Territory and was subjected to a really horrible sexual assault by two late teenagers, big blokes, who told her they had a gun. And she believed for the half hour of her ordeal that they did have a gun. And they forced her to do horrible things. And, um, yeah, eventually they ran off and she was able to run off and she had a terrible time mm. getting her life oh, yeah. back together after wow. that, especially when the boys went to trial and it seemed like they're going to plead not guilty, but then they changed their minds and decided to plead guilty and were jailed. And I think that just brought it all home to her and she had a really tough time after that. But she is just so admirable in the way that she's used running, she's used family to get herself back on track. And I think she taught me a fantastic thing that she's been so helpful late at night on Messenger when I've been having a tough time thinking, oh my God, I nearly died. She's so kind and so humane and so intuitive and so understanding because she was about a year ahead of me in the horrible thing that happened to her. And her big message is you've got to love your scars. And I've got scars on my leg. I've got physical scars. She's got some physical physical scars as well. Um, she said, you've got to love your scars. And I think for the first few years, this happened three years ago for me now. For the first few years, I was just 
saying to myself, man up, Phil, come on, get over it, get over it, man up, man up, man up. Mm. And it's just so destructive and so unhelpful. I think what you have to do is just assimilate it and learn to live with it. You can't sort of pretend it hadn't happened because it did happen and yeah. it impacted massively on my life. You know, my sleeping is still atrocious because most of the time I'm still thinking. And it's so stupid to be thinking, oh, I nearly died, nearly died. And just the visions of all the blood and this lovely girl's absolutely horror-stricken face and the doctor who couldn't stop the bleeding and all those things going around. But... I think the great thing is it's led to so many good things and it's a bizarre thing to say that something so horrible could lead to so many good things but the friendships I formed through writing the book the bonds I formed with the lovely people I've interviewed and I think also I've just suddenly I think you can you can sort of go through life and life accelerates away from you and suddenly the years are flashing by and you know you're in a early 50s as I am and uh, you just think where is time going mm. and something like this comes along and just wakes you up and makes you think um, I know there are nicer wake up calls but I think yeah, but sometimes that's, that's what it can take you know and that's what it can take yeah I think and even I think in, in the result. not so traumatic experiences in life there can be lots of um, you know good lessons in our failures in our yeah in our struggles Definitely. in our challenges and sometimes it just takes um, some sort of mindfulness to give you a different perspective on the situation to take away and to make you realise what positive you've got. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, I'm much more in tune with my friends, much more in tune with my family. Not that I wasn't beforehand, but I'm much more conscious of why I value them so much and why they are so incredibly important. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing like, you know, nearly losing your life to appreciate all the great things that you've got in life. And I think that's what Caroline Elliott was saying when she said you've got to learn to love your scars because of what happened to her. She moved away, met her girlfriend, who she's now married, one of the first Australian same-sex marriages. Oh. And she is happy. And she's got stepchildren. She's building a career in counselling. And I think she's just so incredibly admirable in all the way she sees this horrible, horrible thing that happened to her to open up really, really good yeah. new aspects to her life. And, yeah, I think she's an inspiration. That's great. And that's what I try and think of. And I say that's what she means when she says you've got to learn to love your scars and mm. try and love mine because, you know, doing the marathon a couple of days ago, there's nothing like a running a marathon to make those uh, scars on my leg really sting. They, they do. They sting a lot. Um, yeah. There's nerve damage. And towards the end of a marathon, they sting like hell. But it's what, what time are you running the marathon? You're alive. You're alive. Oh, my best ever marathon was 12 years ago, and I did 3.20 and was fed up because okay. I thought that wasn't good enough. But now, you know, Love to do that again. I'm sort of doing <laughs> just under four these days. And, cool. uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I haven't run a marathon, but there you go. What? Um, just to oh. close this, what? Looking at people out there, and you know, obviously you are a runner. Um, there's a lot of people that probably aren't. And I can just imagine. I mean, if you're sitting there listening to this, you might have, um, you know, any variety of these traumatic experiences that you're talking about. Um, you know, from sexual abuse to, um, physical abuse to. Um, you know, being attacked like you were to any any anything really, eh? But what what advice would you give someone listening out there that maybe is in this spot and you know maybe a little bit reluctant, never thought about just, the running? But oh, I think just find the thing, find the thing that 
just reconnects you and it doesn't have to be running it can be singing it can be i don't know it can be anything really it can be writing but just well maybe maybe not writing but find the thing that reconnects you with other people because i think trauma the other great thing the other horrible thing about trauma is it's so isolating you just sort of think no one can understand what i've been through the sort of drama queenie attitude and it's just that's so negative but with, running, with the running i mean that's that's you, quite gets you back that's quite sorry solo you know running oh no well it doesn't have to be i think the great thing about running is it's so flexible you can run with other people you can run by yourself that you can chat about running you can be part of the running community there's this fabulous thing called park run which is huge in this country and i think it's taking off in australia too isn't it but that's yeah, all about, about that. you know yeah. yeah people coming together and enjoying the companionship of running it, it, uh, running can be solo if you want but it can be incredibly companionable if you want it too. definitely you can, so you can find the people just yeah, yeah and make no mistake running is a privilege you've got to be able to do it but it's so flexible you can do yeah. shorter distances you can find the distance that's right for you you can go ultra if you want you can run absurd distances i love the marathon distance but you just find what's right for you you just take it gently you ease in and you just sort of i often think you know it's probably a bit sentimental really but i think of running as a, a lovely you know hug it just embraces it's a good way to, that's a different way to look embraces at it. <laughs> you, embraces you and supports you. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a bit silly thing to say. <laughs> no, no, it's just as a, as a run. Like, you know, I did a 5K this afternoon and, um, yeah, I can find the joy in it more nowadays because I, I do it often enough um, and that's short distances too. But, um, you know, there's certainly some some pain to it and discomfort, I guess. You know, it's not as comfortable yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as lying in bed in a cold morning or something like that, but... Ah, oh, but um, you feel better for it. You do, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Run. Exactly. And that's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, just focusing on the running, uh, obviously plenty of inspirational stories in your books to inspire people um, and maybe even yeah. to connect with, you know, where they're coming from, what angle in life they're sort of dealing with at the moment, but really just to go out there and, um, you know, like you say, you can do just anything, you can find it. something, but yeah. just try running. Like, um, yeah, I've never, I was never a runner, and I think if you can just start – by going for a you know 500 meter run every morning or whatever it might be and then see where that takes you from there um it, yeah. it's, it's certainly a good way and and i think you know for depression and things like that and trauma um oh definitely the national getting getting out is, these days does recommend exercise yeah instead of uh, sort of low level antidepressants as being something that's worth trying yeah, and getting Just outdoors. for the benefit, you know. the self-respect that you get back and the self-control that you get back. So many Just benefits. So a sense of perspective, and so that's certainly what's given me. I still, I mm. still am deeply affected by what happened, probably more than I care to admit. But, you know, running in the years since has just given me such an incredible amount and I say the running too, but also the book and connecting with the lovely people that featured in it. So where is the book? It's out now on Amazon? It's on Amazon, yeah, in Australia. Yep. It came out in Australia um start of April. Yep. And it's on Amazon and in bookshops, and certainly orderable through bookshops, and it's published by Bloomsbury in Australia. Yep. Okay, and if people want to connect with you, how can they best reach out? 
Oh, well, I'd love, love to hear from anyone. Um, I'm on Facebook, yep. Phil Hewitt, and there's a picture of me. You recognize it because it's a big picture of me um, with loads of Rolling Stones records around me. That's my okay. other great obsession. Yeah. Uh, or on Twitter, I am marathon, at marathon underscore addict, at marathon underscore addict on Twitter. I'd love to hear from anyone who's struggling with anything or has read the book, liked it, didn't like it, whatever. Love to connect. Okay, excellent, excellent. We'll put some links in the show notes there, guys. So this is, uh, I can't remember, 768 uh, on the Hidden One podcast. So, um, yeah, I'll stick the links for Phil in the show notes. Check it out. Um, the link for his book will be there as well. So if you want to support the show, that's a good way to do it, is just to use the Amazon or Audible links there. Is there an Audible version, Phil? No, I don't think there is. Yeah, no. no. That's okay. So, look, guys, you just use not the... Yet. Not yet. Use the Amazon links and... Um, have a read. Um, certainly, uh, yeah, the, the inspiration for me and, and why I sort of wanted to speak to Phil is um, just to encourage others to, to give running a go. Um, I'm not a huge runner, obviously, unlike Phil, who's done uh, 37 now, was it? 36. 36, 36 marathon, I mean, that's huge. So, yeah. um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just about getting out there and getting amongst it. And I think, yeah, the, the multitude of benefits from running is, is incredible. So, Phil, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I can see the, uh, I can feel the emotion really, and um, I'm glad we could make it work tonight. Really lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. All right, until next time, guys. Peace, passion and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Martinzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon